another box box the visual episode i'm alex witsada your host and as usual i'm joined by jesse parker humphreys and abdul abdullah how are you two good busy hungry tired but good yeah tired is is, is a good um, way to describe i think everything where the three of us are, are really really busy for different reasons yeah. uh, but apologies for the podcast hiatus we we took a, l- a little bit of a break we're in three different time zones at the moment, so yeah. <laughs> that that might be one of the reasons. Um, scheduling has been very interesting for the three of us at the moment. Um, Abdullah, how far are we now? London. I'm four. I'm three, I'm three hours from London. I'm three hours okay. from London. So we're at eight hour difference right now. Yeah. So pretty much <laughs> that's been that's been a a fun time. I but you know it's the end of the international break unfortunately and it's been an entertaining one you know we had spain versus netherlands england versus france germany versus australia sweden versus usa germany versus norway netherlands versus australia it's i can go on forever and ever and that's just europe uh, women's friendlies um but then also northern ireland and chile wrote their names in the history books Chile beat Cameroon 2-1 on aggregate to qualify for the Olympics for the first time ever. I had tears in my eyes. I was crying after the game. It was ridiculous. I wasn't expecting to get that emotional, um, but everyone started crying and I was just like, oh my God. Um, But Northern Ireland also um, booked their place in their first ever major tournament with a 4-1 aggregate win over Ukraine to qualify for the Euros. And speaking of the Euros... The final 16 nations are confirmed, and Switzerland also managed to qualify for the Euros dramatically in a penalty shootout versus Czech Republic, in which they won 4-3. And I can just, that penalty shootout was ridiculous. The first two penalties were saved by the keepers, and then after that, it was just dramatic. Um, I think my favorite part from that was Malin Gut, um, had her penalty saved, and there was another Swiss player as well. And they both um, posted on social media after the game saying penalty queens, even though they both <laughs> missed penalties. That was the highlight of everything. But there's a lot of football to talk about. And obviously we can't go match by match because we would be here for hours and hours and hours. Um, so we're going to talk more on a team by team basis rather than match by match. And we're going to split it up into kind of a, a winners, losers, kind of winners categories. Spain, Northern Ireland, Chile, Switzerland, Germany, and Sweden all had really good international breaks with only positives to take out of that. Um, whereas England and Australia lost both of their matches. And so that's a lot to talk about there, especially the England. Um, but the Dutch, the French, and the Americans had a mixed international break, winning one of their matches and losing or drawing the other. So we'll start with the nations who did well this international break. Spain beat the Netherlands 1-0 from our Patrick Guijaro header. And then comfortably won 5-0 over Mexico. But, you know, concentrating on that Spain-Netherlands game, because I think we all want to. Um, Jesse, you know, we've been looking forward to this match since the moment it was announced. I mean, the hype that I think the three of us especially put into that was a lot. But, you know, it wasn't a high-scoring game. And what the goal came from, well, it was a short corner. Um, and then Andrea, Andrea Pereira put a, a cross in from a short corner. And then Padre just got the header out. You know, it wasn't like on paper, it doesn't seem like an amazing game. There wasn't, there was only one goal. But on a footballing aspect, it was a really fun game to watch from a footballing aspect, from a tactical perspective. Um, Jesse, what did you think? 
So I have never placed a bet in my life, but watching this game, I was Googling the odds for Spain to win the Euros <laughs> because I thought they were so good. Uh, I couldn't find anywhere offering odds yet, so I'm going to have to wait for that one. But I thought they were really impressive and I know it was only 1-0, but they could have and probably should have scored more. If you were going to take a negative away from this game, it would maybe be wanting to make the most of that dominance. But yeah, I mean, Spain were playing with a lot of that Barcelona team that we've come to enjoy so much this season. And you could just really tell how well these, how regularly these players fitted together. I think this was a theme that came out quite a lot across this international break. You know, it's the success of international teams, which have like strong cores of players who play together at club level. But I think maybe in the past we've seen Spain have some kind of naivety when it comes to these international games. And for me, watching this felt like a real moment of them kind of taking a step forward as a side and showing that they had the kind of both technical ability, but also the in-game nous to play against a side who is experienced and good as the Netherlands and, and get the win. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, a lot of these players are Barcelona players. So I think um, when you look at the Spain national team, I think they also have that same problem that Barcelona have sometimes of, you know, dominating everything, but they don't capitalize on any of the chances that they actually create for themselves. And I think we saw that a bit. Um, There's a lot of chances that Spain could have easily scored maybe two, three more goals. Um, but of course, they, they didn't capitalize. Um, but Abdullah, you know, we, we were talking about the tactical aspects of this match, you know, Spain managed to shut down the Dutch like no other team has managed in recent times, like not even the U.S. in the World Cup final. I mean, that that match ended nil-nil, and it was a pretty even match until then, you know. But Spain just didn't let the Dutch have the ball at all. Every time the ball went into the midfield, they crowded that, they got the ball back, and they kept the ball. Viv Miedema didn't touch the ball for the longest time ever, and you don't see that often, you know. Shadias Pizzit, uh, Shtaki Grunin, and, and Daniel van der Donk in the middle always have the ball at their feet when the Dutch are trying to play out. But we didn't see that that much during this game. What did this, the Spanish national team do so right to shut down the Dutch? I mean, you've said it right there. The Spanish, the Spanish just love, um, I mean, the Dutch love having the ball most of the time. But I think I think one of the things that we can notice is the 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 U.S. played a 4-3-3 against the Dutch 4-3-3, which I think in some sense evens itself out. It's a, it's a decent matchup for each other. You're basically playing three-on-three three in midfield. Whereas I think what the Dutch did here, and if, if memory serves me correct and Google is helping me out here, they played a 3-5-2 system, which, I mean, just that five across midfield kind of just gave them the numerical advantage against the Dutch's three. And I think what really helped was that you've got the Barcelona trio uh, who've played together all season, playing again with each other in, in this game. And I think the chemistry that they have, and, and and I think the most important part is Barcelona have been really good on the counter press off the ball, being able to win back possession, swarming players as soon as they get possession, and kind of not giving people space, suffocating the space to uh, to win back the ball and kind of push forward. And I think it was a repeat of that in this game, and I think they were able to really, you know, close the spaces for Jack because Jackie Groen and Daniel van der Donk and Sharissa Spitzer, they love playing in more central areas. They don't like really going out wide too much. Um, they, they're more players who want to sit into the, into the half spaces and the, and the, and the places in, in the middle. And then when you give the Barcelona trio, you know, if you're going up against them there and then you've got the two, uh, you know, the wingbacks who can also come in and help there, you, you know, you've got to, you, you're obviously going to get overwhelmed in that sense. And I would argue 
to some extent that the three uh, of Spain or I keep I, I almost keep saying the three of Barcelona. It's probably all in the same, but the the three of them are I think they're just slightly better on the ball. Uh, so when they do get the ball, they obviously they're, they're able to handle it better. But I think equally, I think they're a lot better off the ball. The three of them just because they do that much more work off the ball for their clubs, which has kind of come into their international teams. Whereas maybe Jackie Gronin is is a really good player off the ball. She does her work with Manchester United, but uh, Daniel Van der Donk maybe doesn't have as much of that duty at Arsenal. Uh, and um, you know, Charissa Switzer the same thing. So I think really it came down to that midfield, you know, midfield uh, super superiority, and then and then just the trios off the ball work just being so much better, just because they do it a lot more for their club. Um, but we can probably talk about Spain uh, right now forever and ever. But we're going to move on to another team who I thought played really, really well. Um, Sweden was really unlucky to draw 1-1 against the U.S. and then beat Poland 4-2 after that. But Megan Rampino equalized in the match in the 87th minute through a penalty. Don't get me started there for late penalties scored by Megan Rampino in a U.S. game that just saves their asses pretty much. Jesse, you know, Sweden were playing a quick passing game that, you know, I was not, I was kind of surprised to see it because you don't really see that, that game a lot in the Swedish team. I think um, maybe I don't watch them enough, um, but it really did impress me. And it was working really well on the Americans. You know, there's not a lot of times that Kelly O'Hara looks really bad on, on the defensive line, but she didn't have the best game and, and the U.S. were playing really well. Has it come down to the point where the U.S. can't physically bully nations anymore and now it's just down to the football? Yeah, it's interesting. I'd forgotten that Spain had played three at the back and obviously Sweden played three at the back. So I feel like this was like the formation of this international break for success. In terms of the U.S. bullying nations, I think it's maybe fair to say that most international teams now no longer see the U.S. as like having a big gap or advantage over them, even though on paper they have like maintained that advantage in actual tournament competition but I feel like what was really clever about how Sweden played was I felt like they I don't know if this was actually what they were doing but it felt like quite a lot of like tactical periodization like they waited to get into the game like the first 15 minutes or so they were really happy to just kind of sit back and and hold their shape and you saw a lot more of the USA kind of playing these like line breaking passes through the midfield which which looked dangerous without ever actually being dangerous. But then as that first half went on, you saw those wingbacks, especially John Anderson, start to step forward a bit more. And for Sweden, start to take a bit more of a hold on the game, which I just thought was really clever because it feels like often, you know, with the US, you don't want to be overawed and it felt like giving the team like maybe those 15 minutes to like gradually move into the game before like moving into the more attacking elements of that formation was a really good way for Sweden to kind of feel confident in what they were looking to do. Yeah and Abdullah you know after seeing Sweden over these two matches how good are they looking for the Euros you know perhaps a lot of people are overlooking their quality that they have on their team I mean we can name a lot of world-class players that that play in top leagues um, but perhaps we don't, you know, a lot of people don't really talk about, about them um, that much. Um, do you think they are very underrated going to these Euros next year? 
Yeah, I think so. Definitely. I think I think people are sleeping on Sweden. I mean, not, let's not forget, they've been in quarterfinals and semifinals of the last few major tournaments. They've been regular, you know, regular, regular players of, you know, going deep into tournaments. So it's not like they, uh, you know, it's not like people should be underestimating, you know, the, their performances. And I think definitely against the U.S., I think they deserve that win. Just, you know, they, they really, they should have taken that, they, they should have taken that win. And, and while, like, you know, you've hit the nail on the head there. We've got, you know, we've got some players like John Anderson, Mag Derrickson, you know, players like that who are, you know, big players on the, on you know, for their clubs. But then you've got players like Blackstenius, you know, who are still playing in their native Sweden, but she's a fantastic winger. I mean, she came on, she changed the game as well. And they've got a few more players like that who play in Sweden for for Swedish clubs and, and, and other places, but, you know, they haven't been picked up by the bigger teams yet. So I definitely think that they're underrated. I think they've been uh, they've been slapped on. And um, they're one of my dark horses to, to go on and win, win the whole thing. Yeah, Sweden, you know, they did beat, if I remember just off the top of my head, they did beat the US in that Olympic semifinal in penalties because Kristen Press missed that penalty and I'm still hurting for her. <laughs> I But moving on to maybe another underrated team, um, Germany, Germany beat Australia 5-2 and Norway 3-1. Uh, you know, Norway is another team that has a lot of talent at the moment. You know, perhaps they still have, they still need a few more years to kind of gel together and find the best football that is for them. But very comfortable wins for the Germans overall. And, you know, they still had quite a few players out, um, including a podcast favorite, Cindy Lohmann, who I believe is still injured and is tried, probably trying to get back for that Champions League match um, against Chelsea. But, you know, Abdullah, how bright is the future of this German side? You know, so much young talent playing. I think another player that stands out to me is Julia Gwynn um, on the defensive line. She did really well in the World Cup, really stood out there. Um, but, you know, they're, they're playing against... They're playing with veterans. You know, uh, Alexandra Pop is obviously one of the a big footballing legend. But you know, how well are they doing, and how bright is the future for Germany? I, I, I they're another team. I think like Spain, who have some quality, a really good mix of experience and youth in there. Like you, Julia, going touched on it. I think she's not. Um, she's kind of gone under the radar a little bit uh, this season. But I think last season she had a really good season. Last season been a feature prominently prominently for Bayern Munich. Uh, I think for for she's got a bright future ahead of her. Um, and then like you said, you've got this. You've got like Jennifer Marajan. You've got Alexandra Pop. You've got Sarah Dabritz. You know, you've got these like three four players who are so experienced and so talented that they they complement your Cindy Lohmann, your Julia Gwynn's, uh, you know, perfectly. The, the future is there. I, I, I think they need, um, like I said, I think they need a little bit more time to find the right recipe and the right set of players, you know, to start with. But, you know, but I, I think I think this team can really do well. I, I I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if at the Euros they they got to a quarter or a semifinal. And I think, I think they're one of those teams that maybe just needs to add a little bit of consistency to their game and at least in major tournaments as well because, you know, we've seen it at the World Cup and then we've seen it at other, other tournaments as well where they, they could have done a little bit better. But I think they're finally getting into the stride where the young players are starting to, to enter their peak and their experienced players are at their at their utmost best. So this 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 tournament and probably the World Cup is their best opportunity for some, you know, for some silverware. And Jesse, you know, we're we're talking about these Euros, we're talking about all these teams because the next big tournament is the Euros, you know, after the Olympics, of course. But is Germany another underrated team in the Euros, or do you think that, you know, the other teams have just a bit more on them so far? 
I think my concern for Germany would be those goals they conceded. They looked really good going forward against Australia and Norway. But I mean, I think especially when we then saw the Netherlands like so comprehensively beat Australia, those two like late goals Germany conceded felt a bit like not being really able to control the game. And equally with, with Norway going ahead early on, it's hard when you're just playing international friendlies because... A, a player's head isn't going to be in in the same space as it would in a tournament, but I think that that defensive element is is where maybe the concern would be. I think the thing I'll be very intrigued to see is whether Anne Catherine Berger kind of does end up taking that number one jersey because I'm kind of biased, but I'm like I don't understand what other goalie you, you would want there. But I think she was only getting her like second or third cap in that Norway game where she, where she played. Um, but I think. You know, Germany definitely have all, almost all of the elements to make a really good team. They can clearly score goals. They've got, yeah, as you guys have said, lots of very exciting young players. But yeah, it would be the defensive element, I think, which is maybe maybe where the, the question would lie. I guess the only thing to add on top of that is also that there was um, some problems with COVID outbreaks in the, the Germany camp. So we didn't really get to see what maybe a full-strength German team would have looked like. Yeah, I think that's definitely up in the air, um, kind of waiting for that moment when all the players are fit and available um, to kind of see that full potential because, you know, we, we see all these players individually, but we haven't had a big opportunity to see them playing together other than the World Cup. Um, but, you know, moving on to the kind of winners, we mentioned the Netherlands earlier against Spain and they lost, but they got beat really tactically in that match more than anything else. And, you know, and then they went on to beat Australia 5-0 with five different goal scorers, none of whom were Vivian Miedema. That says a lot about them in general. Um, but, you know, a highlight, uh, Jesse, I know you tweeted about it, but Lika Martin's assist to Linus Berenstein. Was the assist or was the finish better? I initially, when I saw it, thought the finish was better. And this was a bit because I've kind of was been pushing the narrative that I kind of think Berenstein should start over Jill Rod in this Netherlands side. And I was like, this is my proof. But then when I watched it back, uh, the assist was amazing. The, the vision on it was, was incredible. But I think that goal just highlighted the Dutch at their best to have these players who not only are they so technically gifted but have a really good understanding of how they want to play with each other because you only score goals like that if you can understand and know the movement of the players in front of you I think more broadly this game was a bit of a free-for-all just because of how really really bad Australia were but you know it it did just show the the Dutch at their best for lots of it, lots of smooth movement. I thought Miedemar, without scoring, just showed why she is so good because some of the little balls around the box, her hold-up play was absolutely fantastic. It was a masterclass in for people who just see Miedemar as a goal scorer, I think. But yeah, I don't know how you feel if you're in the Dutch camp because the Spain game was really the one you probably wanted to show your best in because this game just kind of felt like a write-off, actually. Yeah, that is fair enough. Um, but, you know, we are, I, I think it's also really nice to see that we're seeing Lique Martins coming back slowly to her best. Um, she's obviously been struggling a lot with injuries and stuff, but, you know, she, she's coming back pretty solidly now. And I think that assist to Berenstein was just exquisite. That was Lique Martins at her best. I mean, 
the vision on that, the curve on it, it just fell perfectly over the defender right into Berenstein's path. Like it just, it couldn't have been any more perfect. Um, but Abdullah, you know, watching the Dutch failed. I mean, see, it's hard to, to talk about the Spain-Netherlands match because, you know, the Dutch, they did all right. But, you know, Spain just tactically outplayed them like for the entire match. They just, they knew exactly what to do. They cut off the Dutch's lifeline. And then without that, they couldn't really do anything. Um, and then obviously, you know, the Spain, the Spanish team are, are really good at having possession. So the Dutch really struggled to have the ball back. Um, but Abdullah, you know, after seeing these two contradicting matches of a, a 5-0 win and a 1-0 loss, are the Dutch still one of the favorites to win the Euros? I think you, you still have to keep them as favorites just because they have the capability to, to pull out a 3-4-0, you know, victory. They've still got world-class players, you know, in their ranks. It's just a matter of whether they can be tactically flexible and be able to kind of find solutions to teams like Spain who will who will press them, who will have maybe maybe have a little bit better be a little bit better on the ball. I don't think they should have a problem early on. It's when it really comes down to the the latter stages is where they need to they need to be careful. But you know, we've seen it in every major in our last few major tournaments they've done well. I mean they were 2019 they got to the final um, where you know there were other teams like France England could have done it to, a, to an extent, uh, you know, Sweden. There were teams who could have gotten to the final as well, but they, they you know, they made their, they, they made their way there. And um, I, I think they just, I think they need, I think they'll learn from this, this these two international games. Obviously the Australia one, like Jesse said, it's pretty much a write-off. They won 5-0. That's, that's what they do. When you, when you give them the space to do what they want, they will flourish. Um, but I think they'll learn a lot from that, from that uh, Spain game because they'll be able to now identify where their weaknesses are and tactically be able to come back and say, okay, we really struggled against this. We had one shot, none on target. The opposition had about 20 shots. We need to figure out a way to get on the ball and kind of work better off the ball. This may be a chance for, for players like Bernstein to come in who in these types of games who could probably do a little bit more of a shift off the ball and kind of just alter their tactics. So I would still keep them up there as one of the, uh, you know, as, as, as a favorite, one of the favorites, but uh, it, it'll all depend on how much they can take away from this international break. I think this Olympics is probably the most important for the Dutch. If you were going to look at how much the tournament matters for the different teams in it, I think this is obviously going to be Wiegmann's kind of last hurrah with them. There's probably, there'll be a big shift, obviously, with her leaving before the Euros. So I think for them, it's going to be really interesting to see them at that tournament because I think it probably matters to them more than any other team who's going to be there. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think, Going into these Olympics, I think the Dutch are definitely going to have a lot more emotion and kind of have a bit more importance to win it. As you mentioned, Jesse, you know, it is Serena Wigman's uh, last hurrah. And I think you can probably talk for the, the entire national team and the Dutch. Um, they all appreciate her. Um, you know, obviously she, she's done so much for them already. And I, I think, yeah, you know, they're definitely going to be one to look out in the Olympics. But after that, it's going to be really interesting to see what the new coach does with the players. Um, but, you know, moving on again. Um, the French, the French had a very contradicting um, international break. Uh, they were missing most of the Lyon players, obviously because of the COVID outbreak that they had there. But fear not, they still had Diani, Katoto, and Baltimore, uh, uh, three obviously one of, another favorites of the podcast at the moment. Um, they beat England three one, and then they lost to the US two nil. I I wasn't expecting that score. I was expecting a bit of of a better game against the US, but you know. 
focusing on this England match, Jesse, uh, but not focusing too much on the England team, rather than just the, the match in general, you know, just tell us your takeaways, all of them. I feel like the Leon coronavirus stuff was the best thing that could have happened to this French team in some ways because it felt like Diacre was just forced to like let the shackles off and play this PSG front three who you know for me are one of if not the best in Europe and they ripped England to shreds pretty much because they're very good they're very fast they're very talented it was amazing to see you know people really wake up to Sandy Baltimore you know people who don't necessarily watch that much European club football um, just because I think she is so talented and to be honest they France should have scored more you know Valérie Gauvin misses like that amazing chance at the uh, end of the first half and I think Katoto had a couple of good chances also in that first half and it just showed like how exciting and dynamic this French team can be which is something we haven't really seen recently under Diacra, but any time there was any sniff of space, the speed at which those three were running at was absolutely terrifying. And the fact that they're all like, I don't know, 24 years old or like 21 years old, I guess in Baltimore's cases, should be terrifying because they're only going to get better. Yeah, and it's, you know, we, we know that there is talent, but, you know, there's the other question of Corinne Driac. Um, you know, she's not very popular in France at the moment, not very popular within the Lyon players, just not very popular in general. Um, but for some reason, her contracts keep getting extended because for some reason, the Federation loves her. Um, but, you know, Abdullah, we talk about these amazing players, you know, these players are, are playing some of the best football that they've ever played. But is getting everything that she can from the players that she has? I I want to say no, just because, you know, I think I think she's got a lot of players to pick from. And and like Jesse said, I, I, I agree with the fact that the Lyon players being out has forced her hand into trying something new just because now she's, she's almost got no choice. She had no choice other than to bed in new players. Like you saw Jorena come in into midfield and you had um, Kenza Dali play a game as well. So, the Almeida, Tunkara, uh, you know, all these different players were playing, uh, you know, and playing in these positions that would normally be dominated by a Lyon PSG uh, setup. So I think I think it, it was good to get these players a run out and then actually see who you can actually, you know, bring in. And I think now this might be a chance for her to be able to actually mold and shape the squad for the Euros because now you're going to be able to see, okay, I had a couple of players that played well that I maybe I wouldn't have given too much of it, you know, too many minutes before because I've had other players there. I thought Jorena had a, had a, had a good game uh, against England. I think, you know, decent against the US as well. And I think France have amazing depth up front. Like you, you, you talk about in Baltimore, Diani and Katoto, you still got Cascarino to come back, who's 21, 22 years old. To kind of make your point, Jesse, Katoto is still only 22 years old, and that's scary. That is absolutely insane. She scores 30 goals a season regularly for two, three years, and she's only 22. So that's that's insane to me. You've got Cascarino to come back. You've still got Karchawi to come back at left back. You've got Amadine Henri in midfield for experience. You've got Wendy Renard to come at the back. So... If they can, if they can take away the positives from this, uh, from the new set of players that came in, and the you know all the the old Lyon players to come back and kind of make a good starting eleven plus have a really strong bench, 
I wouldn't. I mean, I really could see them just going all the way and, and blowing teams away. You know, in the in the Olymp in Olympics and 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 the Euros because I just look at the squad depth that they have. It's unbelievable. But yeah, no, that's. I think. I think at the moment she's not doing. She's not taking everything that she can from the team. But I'm hoping that this is this is uh, this is the turn of a, a new. You know, this is a turn of a new French team. And I mean, ideally, I'd like her gone and get somebody else in who's a bit more tactically flexible because she's just too stuck in her ways. But um, it is what it is. The federation likes her, and uh, you know, we move on. She's going to be the new Jill Ellis, you know, when everyone said <laughs> that the US win in like in spite of her rather than because of her. That's definitely yeah. what you could get from this France yeah. team, I think. Oh, but uh, the difference is that Jill Ellis actually won stuff. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, going forward. <laughs> <laughs> Meow. I, I just don't think, yeah, I just don't think she gets the best out of the French team. It's just, it's such a shame to see these players pretty much go to waste. Um, yeah. with a coach who doesn't know how to how to tactically use them the best. You know, I mean, we saw that Diani, Katoto and, and Baltimore can go up against, up against the best in the world. You know, I think, who was it? It was Diani um, against England who was leaving, you know, England's best players on the floor, like yeah. if nothing. Um, so it's just, yeah, it's just, it's such a shame that this team is just like, their prime years is just going to waste, really. Yeah. Now, the Americans... A draw with Sweden and a 2-0 win over France. And the opening goal in the fifth minute of the match was a Megan Rampino penalty um, that started early. Luckily, it wasn't in the 87th minute like it was over Sweden. Um, but, you know, the second goal against France, I will say that it was a really good finish by Alex Morgan. Um, it was in the 19th minute, um, a really good through ball by Kristen Press, who saw Alex Morgan in the box. And you really thought that she had two defenders on her and you thought she was going to maybe cut back um, back to Kristen. Um, but she just slotted that in the, in the far post. And it was, I think it was a brilliant finish. Um, you won't see me talk up Alex Morgan that much ever again, probably. Um, but Jesse, uh, talk us through about how the U.S. played against Sweden. Um, you know, obviously it was a 1-1 draw. Really unlucky to Sweden. They had really good chances to to kind of take the lead, especially in the dying moments. Um, and then obviously, you know, Mega Rampino penalty in the 87th minute. Um, you know, there's no denying that the U.S. are a team full of world-class players. Um, but Sweden put up a solid game, if not dominated most of the match. Is this how to beat the U.S. in major tournament, or was it just down to a bad day in a friendly tournament? I think there's an element of which it was not the US team that you would see. They started Carly Lloyd because she was getting her a millionth cap, but I don't think we would see the US starting Carly Lloyd. Again, she needed a cane, probably. Huh? <laughs> she needed a cane for the next game. Probably. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, and I think actually that did kind of sum up some of the US's problems because I know Abdullah was talking about this a lot on Twitter they actually looked really good and they were doing like quite a lot of interesting things in midfield especially Lindsay Horan and like some of her movement and they had like they had like Kristen Press and I can't remember off the top of my head who was playing on the other side Kristen uh, Press uh, Carly Ball. that's a good question who was yeah it? that is a really good it was Alex was Alex? No, Alex came no, out Alex as a came on. Oh, Lynn Williams. Lynn Williams. Lynn Williams, yeah. Was it Lynn Williams? Yeah, it was Lynn Williams on the right side. Yeah, she was playing as an inside forward on the right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it felt like Press and Williams were taking up like really good positions, basically in between that centre-back and wing-back space. 
But the problem was when the ball came to feet, Carly Lloyd was never really in a very useful position for them to then make the most of that space. And so I think that's kind of where a lot of their problems began. And then I feel like the longer the game went on, the more some of those players were starting to tire a bit. Obviously, the US had been out of season, so any of the American players like probably weren't really match fit. So I wouldn't take too much away from this game. But I think it's another, you know, like kind of nail in the coffin of just like total US dominance all the time. It definitely shows teams that the US can be beaten. And it also maybe speaks to a problem the US might be facing where uh, they do have lots of these players who've been very good and done a job for them for a very long time, but are maybe starting to age out of this team. And it's not entirely clear to me, at least, where those younger players are going to come from, especially going forward, to take some of those starting roles. Yeah, you saw in the, in the last um, couple of, of camps, probably about a year ago, there was a lot of young talent coming up. Um, you know, they called a lot of first caps happened. Um, I think it was against the Dutch in that friendly, a lot of young caps. But then, you know, this this um, camp, there wasn't really much. You know, there was, you know, Carly Lloyd, Kristen Price, Julia Ritz, Becky Sarbrun. You know, these are all veteran players. Um, but Abdullah, could we potentially see a U.S. downfall from now on? You know, it's 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 you could probably argue it a lot, but... It is, as we mentioned earlier as well, you know, teams are starting to catch up to the U.S. You know, there was there was one point where I think it was Magda Eriksson just bodied a U.S. player off the ball. I was, I lived for that. I was like, holy crap, the U.S. cannot bully anybody anymore. Magda Eriksson just, oh my God, that was just, that was the highlight of the entire match. Uh, but, you know, we're seeing, you know, teams keep up with the U.S. now on a physical level. And, and you know, perhaps I think... And, you know, it's it's obviously a really loose thing to say, but I think perhaps, you know, the U.S. a lot of times won over physicality and aggressiveness rather than footballing um, in the past years. But now teams are, are kind of catching up to that. Um, so, Abdullah, do you think we can potentially see a U.S. downfall and not a downfall, just someone to kick, off, kick them off the throne, essentially? Yes, to answer that, to answer that part of the question, yes, I don't. I, I think it won't be a downfall as much as other, like you said, other teams catching up to them. I think teams are becoming uh, a bit wiser and a bit better tactically. Like you know, we've seen with Spain, we've seen with the Netherlands, we've seen with France. Well, I say France. You know, we've seen with these teams how they're getting better tactically and they're able to, and, and, and the quality of players is improving in all these other nations, Germany and all these, you know, like we've said. So I, I don't think it's going to be the U S dominating as they always do. I think the only reason I think that they'll still be at where they are, if not maybe a little bit better is because they still have players coming through who are really, really good. You've got Lavelle who's young. Horan is, you know, in, in peaking, you know, right now Morgan's okay. 30, but then Christian press is okay. 30 experience. Lynn Williams is there, you know, defend defending why Tanner Davidson's there. You still have, uh, you, you still have players in different positions who can come in and replace some of the older players, quote unquote. So, but I think there will be a period of transition where teams will be able to catch up and really close that gap. And and I think that that's that's going to come soon. I don't think we're going to see. I don't think we're going to see the U.S. win the next World Cup. I think it'll be somebody else. But uh, it all depends on. But, but Vladko is doing a decent job at, at you know 
finding the players that he wants and, and bringing in different players each time. Sophia Smith's on a big one who's, a, who's a, you know, one to keep an eye on for the future. So, yeah, I think teams will catch up and, and then the U.S. won't be as dominant as they have been. Yeah, I think the three of us um, can probably agree on that statement um, in general. But moving on to a match that we have a lot to say about, England and Hegerys lost both of their international matches against France and Canada. Not the international match that we were expecting necessarily for England. Fran Kirby's penalty was the only goal scored in this international break. And before, you know, in the pre-match press conferences, Hege Riese and, you know, even Ellen White was like, they were talking about how um, Hege wants England to play a more direct style of play. And I think we can all agree with that. You know, Phil Neville liked to to play up the back, like to keep possession. And and perhaps it was a bit dull at times because England never played that daring pass forward. Um, And it seemed like Hege was was really kind of instilling that, you know, all the players were like, uh, training's really intense. um, And they were all liking the style of play, but then... The international break came in and they lost both of their games. You know, clearly at the beginning stages of whatever will happen, and it's definitely you know, going to be interesting to see what Serena does to change everything. Um, but Jesse, I know you have a lot to say, just like all of us do, but let's start with our biggest point right now. Rachel Daly. Stop playing Rachel Daly at fullback. Stop it. I just, that to me, it sums up what I think I found so frustrating, which was just the conservatism of the approach. You know, looking at players, we've seen Daly play at fullback a million times before. If you've got an injury crisis, fine. But if you've got players on the bench like Neve Charles, like give them a chance. They're playing, Rachel Daly's not even in season at the moment. So I have kind of come to the conclusion that maybe that's, why lots of these players did play. It felt like she needed to see players who maybe she wasn't seeing in her, at club level. You know, that's why Carly Telford playing. That's why Karen Bardsley is, for who knows what reason, playing. But I think what's strange is that I'm like, this is an England team who've been so low on confidence because they have been really poor. They've basically not played for a year. The six months before that, they were really poor. And you've got to look back back to the World Cup before you saw like some actual confident England games this isn't the moment to like test like lots of li- little things I feel like these were two really games where England could have gone in and like just got a bit of like bravado back but it felt like I don't I don't also don't un- I don't understand what she wanted from these games because I don't think it's been helpful in in any way at all and in terms of the more direct stuff England didn't feel direct at all. They felt like they were playing lots of little triangular passes around the box and no one was making that final forward movement. There was no crossing. No one was really being pulled out of position. The only feeling of like going direct was that against France, Ellie Roebuck kicked it long a lot and that just meant that France turned over possession. So it's a no from me on this international break. Switch this team back on and off again. It was the complete, yeah, it's just, I think conservative is the right word to describe this England team right now in this international break. There was just, oh, there, there's there's so much that you can do. You know, we're having the same problem that we had with Phil Neville again, you know, another manager who can't get the best out of the players that he has, perhaps being a bit too comfortable with a certain starting 11 and starting certain players over others. Um, you know, Neve Charles should have definitely started over Rachel Daly. I think there's no doubt about that. You know, Rachel Daly didn't really look too good, even if against, you know, Diani, I think it was who was just running circles around her. But 
Abdullah, you know, how, you know, talking about Hegerisen and all these players being so happy with camp and how competitive it's been and how fast paced it's been and how, um, I think Ellen White described Hegerisa as as someone who wants perfection all the time, um, and every it seems like everyone's really happy with the way that training is going. It seems a bit to have stepped up a level of intensity, but that didn't replicate at all in this international break. You know how disappointing was it to watch this England side? Oh, it was super disappointing because they're they're one of the teams that you know like like France, you know, England to some extent the U.S. They've got so much talent. They've got so many great players to choose from. It's like you've got this pool. You know what? Maybe there's too many players for them to pick from. But the thing is, every England manager seems to pick, like like you guys said, it's the same starting 11. There's maybe one or two changes, but it's like a very short term. Like, oh, they'll come up for 45 minutes. They'll come up for 20 minutes. They'll play the odd game, but not long enough to try something new. Like, okay, you could have played Esme Morgan, who was in the squad at right back. She had she's had a few decent gains for Manchester City. She started in the Champions Leagues. Uh, give her a chance to go right back, especially because this is a friendly. You want to try new options there. Maybe she gives you something a little bit tactically. She gives you a defensive option at fullback. Rachel, you could have you could have then even played Rachel Daly up front. You could have played her as the central striker if you wanted to really see what she's like. Play her as a central striker, where she's supposed to be good at. You know, that's where she won the Houston Nash Challenge Cup last year. You could have played like we said. Okay, you don't want to play Neen Charles at right back. Play her at right wing, which is her natural position. And maybe you know you've seen Fran Curry. Don't play her. Play Neen Charles. Like there were so many opportunities to play, almost like the French situation where you were forced to play these players who don't usually aren't seen. England could have just done that. You know, they could have they could have just done that with these players, and we could have seen something different. I'm hoping that when Serena Weigman comes in, there's going to be a little bit more tactical flexibility and she brings in these different players and she actually wants to see everybody. The goalkeeping situation is just ridiculous. We know who the goalkeeper is going to be. She's 22 years old. We are 21, whatever. She's young. The other two aren't going to play. We move on. We don't need to see 30 minutes of Carly Telford and 20 minutes of Kara. Like, you do the rotation in the one place, we don't need it. Why? So, yeah, that's that's my thought on this disappointing England. Like, this is so disappointing. It was ridiculously disappointing. I think also in terms of getting the best out of players, I think it's really interesting to see. There's just like, I think, I think what has to happen with England is that I don't think, especially when Serena Wigman comes in, I think it's going to be a matter of finding the best players to fit the system rather than the best players that are playing right now. I, I think that, you know, Phil Neville and, and I think Hegarisa now are kind of getting that mixed up. They're putting in players who they think is going to play well, but they're not necessarily fitting players to a system or a system. You know, they're not fitting a system to the player that they have. You know, I think when you have Lauren Hemp, Chloe Kelly, I think people like Beth Mead play a very similar style of play when they like to attack the goal. You know, they can put in crosses, no problem. They like to attack the goal, though, which means that you need high-playing fullbacks. And who's good at that? Neve Charles, <laughs> for obvious reasons, as she's playing at Chelsea. But I think it's going to be really interesting to see how, how Wigman kind of does that because she does have that, that system in the Netherlands, I think. You know, obviously, she does have her favorites, of course. But I think she has her favorites after the fact that she fit them into a system and she knew that they played well. Um, so I think it's definitely going to be really interesting and, and hopefully, you know, we don't see Rachel Daly at <laughs> fullback anymore. Um, but, you know, we can probably do a whole other podcast on this. Uh, but moving on to Australia, who lost both international matches against the Netherlands and Germany, conceding 10 and only scoring two. 
Um, you know, we'll give this team a bit more leverage considering this was the first time that they've gone into camp, I think in like about a year. Um, obviously with the Australians being so far and their entire team basically being in Europe, um, it's been a bit more difficult to them to, to kind of get together. Um, but also they have a new coach. Um, so this was the first international break that they've gotten to play with that new coach, gotten a, a new style of play. But, you know, Jesse, there's still a bit away um, to go for this Australian team at the moment. You know, COVID has really impacted them. Um, and obviously they're, they're going to want to show up to that World Cup that they're hosting. Um, what were your general thoughts on this side? Yeah, I think, as you said, it was really clear that this was a team who hadn't played together for a very long time. Basically, anything that looked marginally good just ended in like a misplaced pass and players just not really understanding where each other was. There was also, you know, lots of people kind of filling in for each other. I think we can file Hayley Rasso as at fullback as something we never need to see again. Um, but, you know, there were positives as well. I thought Mary Fowler was really impressive. She's obviously been very hyped, you know, it's just the youngest person at the World Cup in 2019. And I thought she looked very cool on the ball. But yeah, again, I think uh, Team GB can look at this Australia side and, and maybe hope that they won't be quite so embarrassed at, at the Olympics, perhaps. I, I could say that Team GB can probably have a, a good day against Australia and Chile, even. Um, I'm, I'm really happy that we made it to the Olympics, but there is really not a lot of teams that we can potentially beat. Um, so I think Team GB can probably have the edge on that too. Um, but Abdullah, you know, Caitlin Ford, oh, there was, there, I think there was a, a last minute chance for, for Caitlin Ford at the end of the Netherlands game and her face was just so done. She was just like, it, it was just a mood for the entire match. Uh, but, you know, Caitlin Ford and Sam Kerr on the same team again. Um, you know, there's a lot of noise on Twitter about Sam Kerr being useless on the Australian national team without Fran Kirby, um, which is a whole other debate. But, you know, um, what did you think about seeing the Australian strikers together again? I mean, Twitter complains about everything, doesn't it? I mean, like you can see a complaint about literally anything and everything you want to there's find. There's always something to complain about. There's always something to complain about. You want to find a specific agenda to fit your narrative, you can find somebody complaining about it on Twitter. So let's just put that out there. No, but I think, I mean, did we forget that Sam Kerr was world-class for Australia a year ago, six, eight months ago? Are we, are we, just, are we just suddenly forgetting how good of a player she is? Like... It, it's not like she's always traditionally been bad for country and great for club. She's been great for both. Suddenly she's not doing too well. Like, and it, again, it comes down to new coach, the team of them played together. The idea of playing the two of them together, it can work. The, you know, the, the traditional big man, little man kind of, you know, you know, you can, you can, you can almost do that. It can almost even come down to the, the, the similar tactics that they do with Miedema and, and, and Ford at Arsenal. You could, you could do something like that. I mean, the scope is there, but it's the, first real couple of games that the coaches had so give them time to to come up with some ideas you're just looking at them and they got hammered 5-0 and 5-2 I mean the potential is there Samker hasn't lost class overnight it's just that they just need to find that 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 system that's going to work for them yeah it's going to be interesting to see um kind of the team go forward because you know obviously we've seen Sam Kerr in that central striker role for Australia for years and she was playing that same role in in the NWSL for example but now in Chelsea you know she's she's playing that that striker but also assisting um a lot more than I think she used to and then obviously Caitlin Ford is used to playing with Vivian Miedema 
um, and Arsenal who are a bit more kind of that same style of play that Chelsea have. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if the coach kind of adapts the Australian style of play to kind of benefit that because, you know, Caitlin Ford, Sam Kerr, obviously really good, you know, lethal strikers up front, but now they've, they've gotten a new style of play in them and they're, I think they're both thriving in at the moment. Um, so we'll, we'll see how the Australian comes out. But, you know, it is just the first two matches together. Not too worried. We'll see how it goes. But, you know, they do have really good potential and, and they have a lot of young players as well coming through. But, yeah, just, you know, just we'll see what happens, I guess, for the World Cup. Um, but we'll leave it at that for now. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Box Box WSL. We will see you next time. And a reminder that Man City versus Chelsea and West Ham versus Aston Villa is being played midweek. And I am so excited. I think I can speak for the three of us. Um, obviously, Man City Chelsea is, is one of the biggest matches in terms of the title. There's only two points separating Man City and Chelsea at the top of the table right now. So pretty much whoever wins is likely to win the title. So no pressure for either of them. And then obviously, we don't have to talk that much about the relegation battle because we do that pretty much every week. Obviously, West Ham Aston Villa, another big game for the relegation battle. Um, but make sure you're following our official Twitter account at BoxBoxWSL to keep up to date with all information and updates about the pod and when we will record next and release the next episode. Um, but see you soon and thank you everyone. Goodbye. See you later.